Good morning. Uh, it is a beautiful sunny day in LA. Um, as always, I'm not going to say very much until I find out if you can hear me. So uh, let me know if you if there's sound. Uh, if you've been following me on these Facebook lives, you know that sometimes I've had a little bit of uh, trouble with that. So people are starting to come on. Somebody uh, type away and say, I can hear you or I can't hear you. Uh, if you can lip read, I'm saying, can you hear me? Um, oh yeah, I see. Yeah, Scott, can you hear me? Okay, I'll, I'll assume you can. Someone's going, oh yeah, brilliant. Thanks, Jason. Appreciate it. Uh, oh, so what have I been up to? Um, I'm currently preparing for a tour, uh, which I'm very excited about. Uh, I, I'm feeling got itchy feet. I've travelled a lot in the last year, but I've had a, a month where I've been sitting around just reading, and um, I feel like I want to get back on the road again. So I think May of 2017, I'm going to go to a whole pile of places. One of the places I'm going to go to is San Francisco. Uh, I haven't done an event there before. I called it San Fran um, and got told off by lots of people who said, you cannot call it San Fran, so I apologise to any San Francisco people out there. Uh, it's even worse, by the way, in Northern Ireland. In Northern Ireland, we have a, um, a city that you cannot name without offending somebody. Uh, it's called, technically, it's, well, <laughs> there literally is no way to say the name without offending people. Uh, in, in the tr during the Troubles, anyway, uh, if you were a unionist, you called it Londonderry. And if you were a nationalist, you called it dairy. And so one of the ways to tell whether someone was a unionist or a nationalist was by asking them, you know, what did they call this city? And you were stuck because uh, if you were caught on the street and someone asked you this, you didn't know what to say. Um, in fact, there's even like a little story of a guy who goes to India for his holidays and he comes home and someone asks him, where did you go? And he said, uh, Delhi. Um, Guy turns around to him, looks at him and says, listen mate, round here we call it London Delhi. But basically, that is a joke that has a very limited uh, reach. You have to come from Northern Ireland to find that in any way funny. But there you go. Uh, I, 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 uh, I think I write about it in one of my books actually. I'm not sure if I do, but I should. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm doing a tour. Although mind you, why would you ever come to one of my tours? You get all this stuff for free. Uh, I, I saw Peter Holmes a few nights ago uh, at the Largo in LA and he spent the first 10 minutes just being amazed that anybody actually came out of their house because today you can basically have every film that was ever made on your TV, uh, every TV series that's ever been made. You can order basically any cuisine you could ever possibly want uh, to be delivered into your house. Even before this, there is, he was talking about this this sense in which we kind of go, home is good, you know, home is safe, four walls, locked door, home is good, home is warm. Um, and now on top of that, you get all of, all of that stuff. And now you even get philosophy and radical theology delivered to your house. So I don't know, but if you, if you do want to come out, I will be traveling around the US and maybe even further afield next year. Um, I'm also uh, next week doing an event in LA. If you're around LA, come and hang out. And uh, I'm, oh, I'm doing Atheism for Lent stuff. I'm really excited about that. Uh, I just got, I'll show you it actually. 
just got this comic book um, called True Faith, which was from the 1980s, and by, by a guy called Garth Ennis, who's behind the pre he's the writer of the Preacher, and he's a Belfast guy, and uh, he you know, he's from Belfast, and this is kind of like you know there's little nods to his school days in this. And so we're going to do a little bit of true faith as part of the Atheism for Lent course. So it's not all philosophy, not all theology. We're going to have art and uh, a little bit of comic book stuff as well. Anyway, that's me. Um, let me know where you're uh, clicking in from. Uh, if you've got any questions or thoughts about what we're looking at today. Um, I basically thought that I would continue on in my reflections from the last Facebook Live. So just as a little summary of what I talked about the other day. Uh, I talked about trauma and forgiveness. Uh, trauma I defined as a type of explosion in our being, uh, a punch that creates this gap um, in the core of our subjectivity. Just like a hole punch in a piece of paper creates this gap. Um, so this is kind of a technical kind of definition of trauma. And I talked about two different types of trauma. There is the traumas that there are the traumas that happen to us which crack into our being and, and, and wound us. But there is also the trauma of being a human. There is a fundamental trauma that, that is to do with being a subject. And actually, if any of you have wondered what some of the differences are between the psychoanalytic theory and practice that I'm interested in and the pyrotheological practice that I'm in, it partly comes down to those two things. Uh, in, in psycho analytic theory or in practice, uh, people go because they have had particular traumas, things have happened to them in their lives that have really made it difficult to desire, made it difficult to be intimate, made it difficult to want, uh, traumas that basically can shut us down. And in psychoanalysis you work through those traumas, but indirectly Psycho psychoanalysis is also indirectly interested in the universal trauma of being human because they're interconnected, but they primarily you know, deal with that. Uh, in paratheology, radical theology, it's the other way around. I'm more interested in the universal trauma that is part of being a human being and working through that universal trauma. Uh, and then indirectly, that is connected to our individual particular traumas, the things that have happened to, to us in our lives. But for someone who does parotheology, uh, they're not necessarily at all a trained psychotherapist or, or anything like that. And if someone comes with a particular issue, uh, the best thing to do is find, find a way to connect them with someone who is trained in that area. The, the person who is doing the type of theological work I'm talking about is trained to help communities work through the universal trauma of existence itself. So we talked about that and then I talked about how forgiveness is the word that is given to the rendering of this lack into something that is not painful and destructive. So basically I didn't say it this way the other day, um, it came to me afterwards, but there's basically three ways we deal with this this traumatic gap that we experience in our lives. We either try to pass it on, we try to ignore it, or we try to fill it. Those are basically the three, three options that we choose. To pass it on means 
it's like it's uh, think about movies, Hollywood movies, a myth of redemptive violence. That violence has been done to me, and the way to get over that is to do violence to another person. So that's a very common theme, obviously, for us today, uh, and very common for us is you know people have been abused. They often pass that abuse on onto their children, the people around them. That's that's this drive in us. If we have gone through some sort of traumatic abuse, that we want to, we don't want to consciously, but somehow in our being, we tend to pass it on, doing violence uh, physically or emotionally to other people. The second one is ignore it. And if you want to think about how that looks, just think about nightclubs. Nightclubs deal with that in a big way. Ignoring it is, but workaholics as well, where you try to ignore the trauma and the lack in your being by doing lots of other things, always being out, always drinking, always hanging out. And you just, and often you find something that works for a while and eventually it stops working. So you have to find something else. And if you don't look at the trauma, you know, you just move on. And you, I see this, you know, alcoholism is sometimes a way to try to avoid confronting the trauma, to ignore it. But if you, um, if you stop drinking too much and you haven't looked at it, I, you'll probably do something even worse. So I live in LA and there's a thing called CrossFit. Honestly, there's people who just like, one day you're drinking too much, the next day you're flipping tires of trucks, right? Something else will come in as a way of, of you avoiding the confrontation with the trauma. And then the third is you try to fill it. You try to take that lack and put something in it which will make it go away. And uh, think about the American dream as a form of that. Uh, you can make enough money and then you'll be happy or you'll 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 get enough stuff or you'll be with the right person and then that lack that trauma will go away so those are three three ways we try to kind of not confront the trauma and i was saying last week basically the other day that they don't work none of those three strategies work and then i defined the serpent uh what what in 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 theology or parotheology we'd call a serpent which is the same as what in psychoanalysis Freud called the superego right they're the two same things if you watch these Facebook lives by the way you will notice that very I'm trying to do it very subtly I'm giving a whole new vocabulary I'm trying to redefine these words so if you listen to all of my Facebook lives you'll probably be able to create a kind of A to Z that that defines in in kind of uh, radical theological ways, terms like the serpent, forgiveness, uh, uh, today grace and exorcism. Um, so forgiveness was, is, the, is, is the rendering of this lack into nothing. And I use the example of debt and economics. Debt is a nothingness that is something. It's a lack of money that, that binds you to jobs you hate and all of that. Forgiveness of a debt doesn't pay it doesn't ignore it, doesn't pass it on to somebody else. To forgive a debt renders the nothingness nothing. Right? It renders the nothingness, the lack of money that is, is causing you all sorts of stress. It takes that nothing and it robs it of its sting. So I talk about forgiveness as the robbing trauma. And, and by the way, trauma in paratheological terms is the word sin. Now, sin doesn't mean you've done anything wrong at all, right? It's ontological, i.e. it's original. Uh, sin just means loss, a loss, a sense of lack, a sense of gap. Um, and so original sin, in, in its traditional religious terminology, is in a sense this original lack that is part of being human. Um, and so 
what we have is this lack and forgiveness is the, the rendering that nothingness nothing. Okay. It's all a little, it's enjoyable. Hopefully you like these twists and turns. So that, that's what I was talking about last week. Um, so now I want to just talk briefly about how, how do we find salvation from this lack? How do we, how do we actually escape it? And um, this is why I think exorcism is. Uh, Remember the superego and the serpent, same thing, is that inner voice that tells you you can get rid of the lack. Um, it, it's the inner voice that says you can be like God, which means you can be whole and complete, right? So, so this superego injunction is telling you that you can ignore your trauma, you can pass it on, or you can fill it. You can get rid of it. You can, you can, you can purge yourself of this nothingness that is within you and, and, feel, and feel great. So whether it's a myth of redemptive violence, whether it's going out and getting drunk at, uh, on a Saturday night uh, in a pub or on a Sunday morning in, in a charismatic worship setting, or whether it's uh, the American dream or you know, wholeness and completeness, you can just get enough and then everything will be great. That is the serpentine voice. That is the superego injunction. Exorcism is equivalent to what in psychoanalysis is called the cure. And the cure is in a sense the death of the superego injunction. And in power of theological terms, it is the crushing of the serpent's head. It is the taking out of that inner voice, that inner voice that is telling you to be whole and complete, to, 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 to flee your trauma, to flee that lack in your being, which actually causes all manner of problems. Uh, we hurt other people, we destroy ourselves, we destroy our environment. I mean, basically, you know, the myriad of, of human destruction and violence um, comes down to this inability to confront the shadow, uh, the dark, the, the lack that is within us, right? To get rid of, to take that voice out of our being, um, which then stops us from feeling that we have to, you know, flee, escapism somebody mentioned there, flee or fill or pass on this lack and allows us to accept it. Accept it as in rob it of its sting. And that's what grace is. Grace is the opposite of the serpent because the serpent is always saying you have to do X, Y and Z to be whole and complete. Grace is this scandalous idea that you don't have to do anything, right? That's crazy. Like that's when we think about it. It's one of I think the most interesting things about um, uh, Christianity is uh, is this interesting notion of grace uh, that that really permeates some of some of the its thinking because it's this idea that it's not I'm okay and you're okay and that's okay. It's kind of like I'm not okay, you're not okay, that's not okay, and it's okay, right? It's it's a kind of sense of Calm your jets, chill out, sit for a moment, and be. Now, the problem with grace for many people is, yeah, if you do that, then you're not going to change. If you accept yourself, and if you're able to accept that acceptance, and you're able to crush the serpent's head, this inner voice that is always telling you you have to do X, Y, and Z, 12-step programs, self-help things, Scientology groups, whatever it is that you have to do in order to kind of like function in the world and be a better person, that actually, you know, set all that aside, uh, embrace, look at the darkness, be honest with yourself, um, then 
then, well, what are we going to do? Just sit around all day and watch Netflix? But the other part of this is that actually when you're able to do exorcism in your being um, and chill out and find a desert in the oasis of life where you can be, that is actually the place where you can really change in deep, deep ways, in significant and lasting ways. Um, obviously, an example I've used many times before is AA. In AA, there, is, there are 12 steps. But forget about the 12 steps, because before the 12 steps, there's something else. Before the 12 steps, there is radical acceptance. You sit in that room in a circle, you say your name, you say you're an alcoholic, if you don't want to say anything, you don't say anything. You can go for months and years and not say a word. But in that space, you're accepted by other people who are just as broken as you. And when you can feel that in the core of your being, and you are able to accept that part of yourself, like be honest about it, just be honest about it in a room of people that accept you for who you are, then, then the 12 steps become significant because the 12 steps are kind of like helpful things that you can do that have been pragmatically uh, shown to be useful to a lot of people but unless you have experienced the grace that radical acceptance in that circle where you're able to be honest with yourself and the people around you the 12 steps aren't going to work you know they're not going to be effective or as effective uh, it's when you have that radical acceptance and you are able to accept all of the horror and all of the darkness and what that lack, what that trauma has done in your life, all the destruction it has done. You're not saying it's good at all. In fact, you have to work through it. And one of the 12 steps is going back and talking to people you have hurt. I have a good friend who, um, she's in uh, Alcoholics Anonymous and you know she's still, year, 10 years later, she'll remember something she did in her work. Uh, I remember she travelled to London to talk to the manager of this company she worked in because she'd stolen a few very small things, like very small things at the time when she was an alcoholic. Ten years later, she buys a ticket to go over to, to meet with him and to apologise. I'm like, what? No way. So there is a sense in which you have to deal with very difficult things, but it comes from this weird saying, yes, that's me. I've done all of that stuff and I'm going to be honest with you about it. I'm going to be honest with myself about it. And in that room, people say, it's okay, you know, it's all right. And then, and then you, you start to do the work. So grace is this weird thing where in, not, in, in being freed from this superego injunction, is telling you to fill this lack through alcohol or CrossFit or the American dream or religion or whatever way you do it, redemptive violence, whatever way you think you can do it. This is no, it's about, it's about confronting that. And in, in terms of paratheology, which is what I'm interested in, that it's the universal lack that all of us feel. Um, it has different shapes for all of us, depending on what's happened in our lives. But we all have that to some extent. And exorcism is the robbing that of its sting. And that involves the experience of forgiveness, the experience of grace. These are all interlinked. Um, the crushing of the serpent's head. 
Um, now, of course, I said, how, how do we do this? And I haven't. I've just given you these words and redefinitions um, because it's very, very hard to do. Uh, this is why I believe in community. Um, where you go every week to some community that tries to live out grace, that you know, that tries to live out forgiveness, and that might be an AA group, and that might be um, you know Tuesday morning coffee with your best friend, um, that might be a book group you're part of. It can be in many different places, but a space that practices um, grace and gives space to people to be able to be honest with themselves and each other and to confront that lack and find a healing that happens there, not just for individuals, um, but for, for families, for societies, for whole nations. Because this, uh, this, this kind of lack is not just in individuals, it's in communities, it's in groups. Uh, we see it in whole countries. Okay, so there's, uh, there's some thoughts. Um, I'll just have a look and see if anyone has any questions or thoughts. Um, let's see. Um, okay, so Ryan says, yeah, trauma impacts the body. There's very real neurobiological implications, absolutely. So if we're talking about trauma, we have to talk about the body. Yeah, I mean, and um, you know, I think we are our bodies, you know. Um, so yeah, the, your trauma, that's, that's what a symptom is. A symptom is the appearing of that which does not show itself. It's actually Heidegger, I've been reading Heidegger recently, but, but um, a, a symptom is a bodily manifestation of something like if you've got headaches, fatigue, bad back, you know, those are very often, or like um, uh, bowel problems, that kind of thing. They are very often um, ways where you're, of your body telling you that there is a tra traumatic um, event that, that's not being looked at. So, you know, you're always out partying and all of that, but then you have this crazy, crazy migraines and the doctor can't really find out what's going on. Um, and, but then... The, then you listen to the migraine and you work out, oh, I always have a migraine when I'm at the house, when I'm at home, or when I'm about to go to work on a Sunday night, you know, before I go to sleep. And then sometimes you kind of work out, oh, the migraine is telling me that I, I'm in a situation that is destroying me, or that I'm not looking at something, or I haven't mourned the death of somebody. Fatigue can tell you that you haven't mourned. So, so yeah, so basically look at, you know, your body will tell you what, what you cannot tell yourself. And you have to learn that it's very important to listen to your body. Um, just as in society, we listen to the symptoms of our society, explosions of violence in the judicial system uh, or the educational system is often the physical representation of a type of um, trauma that the community isn't looking at. Um, do you know there's a WWE wrestler named Seamus? You know, I hope... I never find him because I've so taken the piss out of this guy called Seamus for years. If he thought it was him, I think I would be uh, in trouble. <laughs> Let's see. Oh, so Seth. Okay, Seth, you're quoting Lacan here. Let's see if we can make sense of this. Desire is a relation of being to lack. Yeah, the lack is the lack of property. 
You're okay, no one's going to be interested in Lacalle except for you and me. But okay, I'll keep going. The lack is the lack of being properly speaking. It isn't the lack of this or that, but lack of being whereby the being exists. Yes, I mean, yeah, so Lacan is saying, I, what I'm doing here is, is a kind of form of, of, of Lacanianism. I'm very influenced by Lacan. Um, that to be human is to be lacking. And desire is a kind of a positive relationship to lack. I mean, if you think of it like this, um, you can have a negative relationship to lack. You feel this trauma and it destroys you. It stops you from desiring. You desire nothing, which is kind of what depression is in a sense. It's the lack of desire. Um, and what the therapist often does is try to get you not to get rid of the lack, but to enjoy it, to find yourself desiring it, to find yourself revolving around it. That's why I say that, you know, um, the idea that you're not who you would like to be, there's the negative side of that where you get really depressed. I'm not who I would like to be. That's a lack. I am, I am lacking character. I am not who I want to be. But then there's a positive side to that. There's like, I can change, I can grow, I, there's still so much for me to do. I can better myself in various ways and get involved in things. And so the, the difference is not that you feel this, this lack, but that you change how you interact uh, with it. Um, let's see. There's Kent. Hey, Kent. Kent Dobson. Um, Kent Dobson uh, is a good friend of mine. Uh, he, uh, he was pastor at Mars Hill in uh, Grand Rapids and he does amazing work um, in this kind of stuff as well. He has an interest in uh, exploring this, this lack. Um, it's slightly different language but in, we're in the same territory and uh, I think actually uh, Kent should uh, be doing more public talks on that kind of stuff. Uh, I look forward to seeing that. Uh, let's see. Oh yeah, he also did one of my most viewed Facebook lives. So it's like I I give you all this gold. Nobody shares it. You know, a few comments, but then I get Kent on, and it gets like shared thirty times. Like I don't know what you did, Kent, but people liked it. Um, let's see. Oh wow. Deb just came in from Istanbul. That's probably most, one of the most interesting places I've had someone listen to from a lot for a long time. Okay, well that's that's my thoughts. So basically, if if you listen to this Facebook Live and the last Facebook Live, um, the test that I'm going to send to all of your houses, um, and I, I want you to do it, no cheating, is uh, how does trauma, um, original sin, superego, serpent. Forgiveness, grace, and the psychoanalytic cure, and exorcism, how do they interact? So I, that, that each of those questions, is I want you to be able to define what those are and how they interact with each other. If you can do that, you get a star, and uh, I'll let you free into one of my events. Hey, can't do better than that. Thank you very much. Uh, keep... Um, uh, commenting saying hi and um you know let me know if there's there's things that you want me to talk about in these i generally just talk about what i'm kind of working on but you know you might throw in so because i don't like talking about something i don't know anything about like that's terrible uh but you might throw in something and i go like oh yeah i'd really like to talk about that a lot of people want me to talk about prayer so um maybe i'll um i'll explore that at some point but anyway thanks for joining me um on sunday morning i'm going to go to my 
kind of paro-theological community, uh, which is uh, run by my friend Barry Taylor in LA, where we try to live, live this stuff out. Uh, yesterday, Barry called it um, the first uh, radical theology megachurch. So I think that's our tagline now, Sunday service, the first radical theology megachurch. Now, when he says megachurch, I think we've got like 30 to 60 people come, but um, it's probably one of the biggest radical theology communities around, so <laughs> that's, that's that. All right, take care, everybody. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for tuning in.